Reading from John, chapter, beginning in verse 1, John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him, and apart from Him nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And then in verse 14, And the Word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you came into this world and that you were pleased to do the will of your Father and to humble yourself and to take on humanity and to give yourself an obedience even to the point of death on our behalf. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for the salvation that you've offered to us so freely that we simply receive by faith in you. I pray that our hearts would be again strengthened and encouraged in that faith and that you would be exalted as we look at your word together. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> um, I just want to again reiterate the announcement at the beginning of the service of two funerals on Saturday. Charlie and Alf um, passed away recently, and, and she was a founding member of Bernie Bible Church. Um, remarkable lady, and, and the last few years um, she's been living in a, in a nursing home um, with Alzheimer's, and so it's been a long, um, um, slow decline, and yet she's with Jesus now. Her four children all know the Lord, and um, she's just a, just a tremendous lady. And um, her one daughter that lives here in Bernie attends Faith Bible Church. They've asked me to, to, to do the service, um, but it'll be held at Faith Bible Church at 10 o'clock Saturday morning. So any of you who knew her, um, that's where it'll be. There'll be a graveside service following at the Candelia Cemetery. And then um, um, there'll be a, a, a light lunch provided um, by Faith Bible Church at their um, um, campus, at their f- facility. And then Vincent Roshager, um, he passed away suddenly Friday evening, um, and um, the church service, the funeral service for, for him will be here at the church. Um, the family was still, when I talked to them on Saturday, yesterday, was still coordinating with Fort Sam Houston about um, the um, cemetery, um, graveside service, and, and when that would work. But it'll be here Saturday afternoon. And I'll be doing that service as well. Um, so um, just two tremendous saints that are with the Lord and two lives to really celebrate for their, their faithfulness to Christ and the testimony of Him that they both were. 
Mm -hmm. We don't know yet. It, it, it depends on, on the gravesite at Fort Sam, what can be coordinated there. And so I, I'd imagine it's going to be early Saturday afternoon, but, but I don't know yet. As soon as I know, we'll put out an email to everybody and, and you'll hear about it. Okay. Well, as most of you know, um, my, um, my day job, if you, for lack of a better term, is to be the director at His Hill Bible School over in Comfort. And we have students come from all over the world, and every year they come for different reasons. Um, I remember one year, very vividly, we had a guy show up backpacking. His school had already started, and he was a great big giant of a fellow, and um, he backpacked um, his way from somewhere where he landed. I think he may have even just taken an ocean liner um, to the United States because he liked to hitchhike around the world, and he hitchhiked to his hill. And so when Patsy and I met him, he was standing outside one of the student dorms. He had not applied to Bible school. He just showed up. We had no idea this guy was coming, didn't know who he was, barely spoke English. And so you got to get a few things straight. And so the first thing I asked him is, why are you here? Bible school. Here to be Bible school student. And I go, you know, I said, I, we don't know anything about you. Are you a Christian? Christian. Yeah. Jesus in heart. And I'm going, okay. You know, and, and so I go, do you have money? Yeah. Money in backpack. And I'm going, okay. So we had a great year with Hans. <laughs> it's all it takes to be a student in his hill. <laughs> Other students, they, they, whenever they do their application, they, they give us these very spiritual reasons for why they're coming. They want to know Jesus better. They really want to dig into his word. And then once they show up, you find out, mom and dad made me come to Bible school. And I'm going, why didn't you tell us that? And others will even tell us, um, I came here looking for a Texan to marry. We've had girls tell us that. And um, one of my daughters-in-law uh, might say that. And um, we, we have a student who is with us now who announced in the beginning of the semester that he was there to find a wife. Not a good thing to announce to all the girls when you first start Bible school. Trust me. I wish he'd asked me first. I would have said, don't do that. But now they're staying away. Um, if I were to show up at your house just out of the blue, you would wonder, why am I there? Even when somebody calls us up on the phone and we weren't expecting the phone call, we're kind of waiting for, why did you call? Right? It's the, when it comes to Jesus and his coming, we should be very clear on why he came. When a Bible school student comes, they may come for lots of different reasons. You may come to church for different reasons. But when a Bible school student comes, no matter what their reason is for coming, I can say, well, this is our reason for you being here. And I can, in a sense, override whatever their reason is. And I can, because they may be there to play. And I go, this is not a playground. And so you will not spend the year just playing. When Jesus comes, we cannot override his reason for coming. His reason trumps whatever we may think why he came. We don't have the authority to say, well, I think this is why you should have come. 
But a lot of people would like to determine the reason for why Jesus came. He came to make me happy. He came to give me a good Christian spouse. He came to have my life turn out the way that I want it to turn out. Jesus came, and He came with a purpose, came with an agenda. And it really can't even be expressed in one statement. And I've just, just, just briefly just thought about some of the many things that the New Testament says of why Jesus came. And I want to focus on one of them, but just think, these are just some of the things that the New Testament says this is why He came. He came to glorify the Father. He came to make the Father known. So if you've seen Jesus, you have seen the Father. He came to take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist will say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He came to overcome the world. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to do the will of the Father. He came to reconcile all things to Himself, to restore and to redeem. He came to make purification of sins. In another place, he says he came to bring a sword. He came to make us one with God and with each other. And he came that we might have life and might have it abundantly. Now that's at least 12 things that Scripture says Jesus came to do. So it kind of gives new meaning to when on the cross he said, Father, it is finished. He accomplished a lot when he came. Not just one thing, but at least a dozen things that he came to do. And it was all accomplished when he hung on that cross. It's the last one that he came to bring us life that I want to focus on this morning. Again, it's not necessarily um, the biggest thing. It is certainly not the only thing. But, but in terms of our experience our personal relationship with Jesus and even with each other, it's right up there at the top. Jesus Christ came that we might have life. Life. Abundant life. What does that mean? What does that look like? The Gospel of John, if it is about any one thing, it is about that. Jesus came that we might have life. And so I just want to survey some of the statements here in John that speak to that. And so we read this morning here in the first chapter, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, a statement to the pre-existence, eternality of Jesus Christ and His deity. He is fully God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him. He is the Creator. And apart from Him, nothing came into being which has come into being. In Him was life. And so here we go. And right from the beginning, just, just out of the gate, John wants us to know Jesus is God. He is the eternal God. He is the Creator God. And in Him is life. And we need life. When a mom, a woman is pregnant, the first thing that that doctor is doing 
is determining life. That's what that sonogram's about. Is there a heartbeat? Is there life? And that is the one main question. It's not whether it's boy or girl. It's not the due date. It's not the size. The main question when that woman finds out that she's pregnant, is it alive? And the one concern for those whole nine months of pregnancy, every time she goes back in the doctor for that checkup and another sonogram is done, they're listening for that boom, 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 boom. It's a fast, rapid heartbeat. Is there life? And that's what we're expecting, life to come. Jesus came into this world because we need life. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. No life, no light. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Or in other words, overcome it, did not, um, did not grasp it. And then verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. And he speaks about he was the fullness of grace and truth, but he didn't come just to, to make grace and truth known. He came to give grace. He came to, 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 to embody truth so that by grace and truth we would come to know life. Paul will say in Romans chapter 5, verse 21, the very last verse there in Romans 5, he says, the grace of God has been given to lead us to eternal life. So much of the time we focus on the grace and we forget that the reason that God demonstrates his grace is so that we would know his life. Grace is meant to lead us to eternal life. You can know the grace of God and not know the life of Christ. God's grace is meant to lead us to life in Christ. Going over to chapter 3, so you're going to need to use your Bibles this morning. Over in chapter 3, where he has his encounter with Nicodemus. And this is his first in John's record of his personal encounters with folks and and with Nicodemus, he comes saying, we know, Rabbi, that you must be from God, because no one could do these things, John chapter 3, verse 2, unless he came from God. And Jesus goes, I don't know. See, Nicodemus came, and Nicodemus has got a point to make. You've got to be from God. But Jesus, knowing the hearts of all men, knows that what really is on his heart is that he needs no God. A student can come to Bible school because they think, you know, I just need time away from everything. I just need a, a new start. God going, you don't just need a new start. You don't just need a change of circumstance. You need life. And so Jesus said to him, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, what is that about? It's about life. You've got to have a new life. And so as he continues to speak to him, he says in verse 14, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He's speaking that to Nicodemus. You just want to know how I do these things. I know what you need to know is how to have life. 
because you need life. And whoever believes in me can have eternal life. The woman at the well, chapter 4, same thing. He, Jesus sends his disciples into the city to get some provisions. And meanwhile, Jesus is sitting at the well. Verse 7, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, since I'm a Samaritan woman? Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. See, he's got an agenda, life. She wonders, what's this guy doing out here in the middle of the day talking to a woman all by himself? What's his agenda? She's thinking maybe it's something sexual. And Jesus goes, I've got an agenda, all right. It is way beyond anything you can even think of right now. It is life. I came here, I'm sitting at this well this day, that you might have life. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of, the water, of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to, and there it is again, eternal life. I want you to have eternal life. You should come to me and ask me for a drink, and I would give you a water that would quench your thirst forever. And it would be so much life coming out of you that it actually is like an artesian well that on its own is just pumping out, gushing out water for life for others so that you become a source of life to other people. That's why I'm sitting at this well, that you would have life, and that life would become an artesian well springing up within you. She says, I want that. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. And he said to her, sure, go get your husband. And I'll give both of you this water. Well, I don't have a husband. You've answered rightly. For you have had five husbands. And the one that you have now is not your husband. And she's going, oh my word. This is not some ordinary man. This is a man who knows everything about me. And he wants me to have life. See, isn't that amazing? If I mean, we're all, you know, as well as we know each other in our small body, every one of us lives with the fear that if, if, if you knew everything about us, you wouldn't want anything to do with us. You'd walk away. And Jesus knows everything about this woman. And he is sitting there in the heat of the day that afternoon because he wants her to have life. He's not recoiled. He's not pulling away from her. And she goes, this is amazing. This man genuinely wants me to have life. So she's evasive at first because she's shocked. And so she starts asking a theological question. Doesn't even begin to get to the heart of the issue. 
And so she says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Yep. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that the, you people, the Jewish people, you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming where neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. So he's cutting to the chase. You worship that which you do not know. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshippers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman's getting the point. She's dealing with God. She's dealing with the Messiah. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes... He will declare all things to us, just like you've been doing. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am. I am. And she ran off to tell the city, come and meet the man who has told me everything that I have done. And many of the people in that city placed their faith in Christ and in doing so received eternal life. Nicodemus came with an agenda. It wasn't Jesus' agenda. Jesus brought him to life. The woman at the well thought that Jesus had an agenda which was not close to what he had. And Jesus brought her to life. John chapter 5, verse 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Not you will get it when you die. The moment that you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you receive Christ himself, and he is himself, eternal life. You receive eternal life when you receive Christ. And he does not come into judgment, but he has passed out of death into life. Charlene and Vincent both went home to be with Jesus this week. They did not pass into judgment. They received life the moment they received Christ. And at that moment, they passed out of judgment. And they simply passed into the presence of God. But they received eternal life the moment they placed their faith in Christ. Still in chapter 5, Jesus says in verse 39, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. We're Bernie Bible Church. Could it be that people would come to Bernie Bible Church to hear the Bible because they think that in studying the Bible they would have eternal life? Could be. Could it be that people would come to a Bible school because they think in knowing the Bible they would have eternal life? Could be. And you could go to church your whole life and be a professional student your whole life and never be saved. Because you never placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. And you are unwilling to come to me. Why? For what purpose? That you might have life. How does a person get life? You believe. In Jesus Christ. It's all the scripture says. Believe in him. 
and you shall receive eternal life. From this point in John, John begins the first of seven I am statements. And the first is, I am the bread of life. That should be a clue to us that maybe all of the I am statements are going to be about life. And as we look into these I am statements, somewhere in the context of all seven of them, it is about life. So Jesus could have just just shortened it and said, I am life, seven times. I am life. I am life. But he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. And all seven of them, one place or another, as we look through them, he comes back to the point, it is life that he's talking about. You may not be able to remember the seven I am statements, but you should be able to remember Jesus is saying, I am life. I am life. So John chapter 6 there's, all through this chapter, he, he says the same thing, so don't have to look at all the verses, but, but look at verse 41, and he says, The Jews, therefore, were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. Well, why would they grumble? Verse 47, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Verse 48. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he shall live forever. Verse 53, Jesus therefore said to them, Truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And just so we'd make sure he's not talking literally, he'll say a little later on that he is, verse 63, it is the Spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. The point is, just as you eat and drink every day in order to have life, true life is from eating and drinking me. You can no more survive physically without food and water than you can survive spiritually without Jesus Christ. He is life. Chapter 7, verse 37. Now on on the last day of the feast... Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. You can almost hear what he said to the woman at the well, same thing. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. The second I am statement is in chapter 8, verse 12. Again, therefore, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in the darkness, but shall have the light of life. The same thing in John chapter 1, verse 3 that we read. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever places his faith in me, he who follows me, will not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. The light of life. In chapter 10, 
is the next I am statement. And Jesus says in verse 7, Jesus therefore said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he shall be saved. He shall have eternal life. And shall go in and out and shall find pasture. In the sheep enclosures of that day, they were usually made of either thorny vegetation. You can see this in, in Mexico to this day. A lot of times a corral, an enclosure, would just be cactus that have been planted close to each other and nobody can get through. So it could have been thorny vegetation. It might have been a rock wall. But there was not a literal gate. The shepherd himself was the gate. As the sheep went through the enclosure, into the enclosure, it was because the shepherd stood there and, and urged them through. And once they were all in the enclosure and safe for the night, the shepherd would lie down in the gap. And his body was the gate. And you couldn't come in or out without crossing literally over the body of the shepherd. He was the gate. He was the door. And he was there for the life of the sheep. His presence there meant, I am safe. I have life as long as this shepherd is my door. So that's why verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, still in the context of the, of the door, I came that they might have life and might have it abundantly. And then now the next I am statement. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then he continues with this metaphor, and he says um, later in the chapter, look at verse 26, but, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. Place your faith in the door, and you will have eternal life. Place your faith in the good shepherd, and you will have eternal life. The bread of life gives you life. The light of the world gives you life. The, good sh the door gives you life. The good shepherd gives you life. Chapter 11, after Lazarus has died, Martha goes out to Jesus and says, if you'd been here, verse 24, then he wouldn't have died. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Verse 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And Martha, to her credit, says, yes, Lord, I do believe that. Martha had eternal life because she believed the truth concerning Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 14, Jesus is now talking to his disciples alone. And it's just prior to his crucifixion. And in chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to him, to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life. The definite article, which makes it exclusive in each one of these, I am the way, not a way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father 
but through me. And then finally in chapter 15, the last of the I am's, I am the true vine. And my father is a vine dresser. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. And, and he who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. Now let me be careful with this. Jesus is now talking to the 11 disciples. Judas has already gone out and betrayed Christ, and he is talking to men who have eternal life. And he is not warning them that they're going to lose that life. He is writing these things here in chapter 15 to encourage them and to give them joy. He says in verse 11, at the bottom of this paragraph, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. This is not a warning passage. This is a joy passage. He's not writing to men and saying, if you don't abide, you could lose your salvation. That would make it a warning passage. That is not what Jesus is saying. It is eternal life. Back in chapter 10, Jesus says that my sheep are mine and they shall not be snatched away. No one will take them out of my hand. It is eternal life. It is permanent life. What he's talking here about is a believer having eternal life but not experiencing the life that he has because he's not abiding in Christ. He has believed Christ, but another way to say it, he's not continuing in faith. He's still the Lord's. He's still a sheep. He's still a branch, to use this metaphor. He doesn't cease to be a branch, but he's no longer a vibrant branch that is bearing fruit. He's a withered, dry branch, but he's still a branch. The point is, as a Christian, you can know the life that you receive the moment that you receive Christ if you continue to abide in him. And if you don't abide, you're not going to know his life. It's a warning only so far as to say that fruit depends upon abiding. He produces the fruit. We merely bear the fruit. In response to abiding in him, the fruit is produced. There will not be the experience of life that we've received if we're not abiding in him. So all seven I am statements are simply repetitions of the one truth, Jesus is life. And he came into this world so that we might have life. Two more references here in John. Look at John 17, verses 2 and 3. Even as you gave him authority over all mankind, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, to know God, to know Jesus, to place your faith in Christ. And then John chapter 20, verse 31, John tells us this was his whole reason for writing this gospel. 
These have been written, John 20, 31, these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. We receive life by simply placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Say, Jesus, I believe. Believe what? According to John, you're the eternal God. The preexistent creator of this world who became a man, took on flesh, that I might have eternal life. Like Nicodemus and like the woman at the well, my greatest need is to have life. I was born separated from you, therefore I was born spiritually dead. And you came into this world to reestablish union with yourself, John 17, to make us one with God even as, as the Son is one with the Father. And so God, like Nicodemus and the woman at the well, I know I need life. And I place my faith in Jesus and Jesus alone to give me that life. Not the Jesus of so many of the religions, but the Jesus of God's word who is the eternal God, the creator of this world, the one who in whom is life and that life is the light of men. I need that life. I need that light. Jesus, save me. In the simple promise of scripture, is that when we place our faith in Christ as the one who came into this world to give us life, that we receive at that moment eternal life. How do we continue to know that life? In the same way that we received him, by faith. It's not a complicated, it's not a mysterious religion. We, rece- we became alive by placing our faith in Christ. And we live by trusting in Jesus. It's not one way to get saved and another way to live. We continue in life to use John's word by abiding in Christ. So really the questions just come down to who is this Christ? Eternal God, creator, God in the flesh, source of life. Why did he come into this world? And certainly all these things that I talked about, and I didn't even even mention probably half of them, are all true. But in John's focus, the main reason he came into this world was so that we might believe in him and have eternal life. So then the question is, have I believed in him? Don't want to take anything for granted. I look out and I see you folks and I feel like I know most of you pretty well. And I would think that that is true. But you know. I, I don't know. You know. Just as I know whether I have placed my faith in Christ. I know whether I have received eternal life. And you know whether or not you have received eternal life. Are you dead? Or have you been made one with God through faith 
in Jesus Christ. And then the next question that comes out of that is, am I living? Am I enjoying that life? Is there that well of living water springing up like an artesian spring coming up out of me? There is nothing that can stop his life. Nothing that can take it away. Nothing can snatch us out of his hand. But it is true that even as sin separated us from God when we were born into this world, the sin barrier has been removed for those who have placed their faith in Christ. And now if we sin, we are not abiding in Christ. John says the one who abides in Christ cannot sin. Because Christ himself cannot sin. And if I'm drawing life from him, abiding in him, I cannot at that same moment be sinning. Because in the moment that Christ is living, then there will not be sin, because Christ cannot sin. So I can have eternal life, and yet be be not knowing and experiencing, I can be quenching that very life because of sin. And people around me are not sensing life. And it's simply because I'm not abiding. Because if I abide, what's true of Christ will be manifest through me. Not only will I have life, but life will be expressing through me. I don't have to pray that it be expressed any more than I need to pray for fruit. Jesus produces the fruit. Jesus manifests the life. He causes a well of living water to flow through us as we place our faith in him and simply abide in him in the same way that we placed our faith in him. I knew that this was not going to be a long message today because it's just this one thought. Jesus came to give us life. The crying need of everybody around us, our family members, our friends, co-workers, of our society that is dying. Every time we listen to the news, we see another example of how society is dying. Society needs life. Society will not receive life as a society, corporately, but only individually. Our families need life. Our friends need life. Our coworkers need life. I need life. And life is found only in Jesus Christ. He didn't come to give us religion. He didn't come to give us law. Law and religion don't give life. He came to give us life. And that life is himself. That's why the simple message of the gospel, believe in Jesus and you shall have eternal life. Abide in Jesus. And you will experience the life that you've been given. And so will everybody in our orbit. 
we die to ourselves that we might abide in him and he manifest his life through us. And aren't you glad that Jesus came to give us life? Nothing we need more. And we have been given life through faith in Jesus Christ. And God takes one who is dead. And this is the miracle of miracles. And takes that empty, dry, dark well and causes a river of life to spring out. It's supernatural. We who need life become a source of life, springing up to eternal life for others as we simply place our faith in him and live in that abiding relationship with him. I'll close this in prayer. Lord, there are so many different reasons that we come to you. So many of our prayers, Lord, are not anything about life, but they're about circumstances and our desire to see them changed. I thank you, God, that you know, like Nicodemus and the woman at the well, that even in our prayer request, you know the real longing of our heart is for life and that others know your life. That you cut through all of that, you see the heart, you see the true need, and you have supplied for that need through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the life that we have in him. And I thank you, God, that you've taken these broken cisterns that we are without you, and you cause a, a river of living water to flow out of us as we simply trust in you is truly supernatural and it is to your glory and praise so we thank you O oh God for sending your son that we might live in Jesus name Amen